Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. (laughs) Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And as you may have heard, John, last week in a lottery drawing in South Africa, the winning numbers were 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and they came out in that order. Uh, This led to allegations on Facebook and Twitter that the lottery was rigged, which must mean it was indeed rigged, since you can always trust implicitly whatever you read on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, So what say you, John? How deep does this conspiracy go? All the way to the top? What did the president of South Africa know, and when did he know it? Uh, Eric, where do I begin? Um, I guess first off, I should say I have a twin brother, and I married a woman who was the same birthday, not the same birth year, as my twin's wife. I know some very otherwise intelligent people who seem to think the odds of this are like like a million to one. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's 365.25 to one. That's not (laughs) that unbelievable. I mean, and maybe it sounds like a lot until you think of how many twins uh, each have gotten married. Uh, At just a thousand pairs, you'd expect several matches. So you're not going to be the star at a twins convention just because your wives or husbands are the same birthday. Uh, I also remember as a young person learning about the number of people needed at a party, let's say, before it becomes as likely as not that two of those guests share the same birthday. Uh, the answer is, and this is, again, to the surprise of many, apparently, is 23. That's all. So uh, here the science says take the number of drawings as well as the total number of, well, numbers uh, that are in play. At a certain point, you would know the lottery likely is rigged, not because you get a sequence like this, but because you never do. And finally, I remember a couple of university mathematics professors decades ago, and I was doing a story on lotteries. They told me that basically there's only one player edge in lottery, and it's tiny. That edge is to pick at least one number over 31. It doesn't make you more likely to win, but if you do win, there may be fewer fellow winners because anyone who just takes numbers based on birthdays and anniversaries doesn't take any high numbers at all. Yeah, it's funny that you brought that up because that's exactly what I was about to uh, mention is that uh, so I I recently read and reviewed a book for uh, usbets.com called 2020 Sports Betting by Logan Fields. And he actually wrote a section about how to win playing the lottery, uh, (laughs) except as he further explained, it wasn't really how to win. 
it was how to improve your expected value by making sure you win yeah. as much money as possible if by chance you happen to win. And it's yeah. exactly what you just said. Don't pick numbers other people will pick that when people go in and choose their own numbers, they tend to pick numbers that represent birthdays. So 31 and under, like you said, especially 12 and under for months, popular lucky numbers like seven and just low numbers in general. So uh, his strategy, yeah, if, if it's out of, say, 60 numbers you can choose from, pick all numbers between 32 and 60 because when they hit you're splitting the pot with fewer people and uh yeah wouldn't you know with this story five six seven eight nine ten hits and reportedly 20 people had it so the pot gets split 20 ways uh so uh yeah pretty interesting that uh that uh you were you were on the same page uh, as i was with regard to a uh, reaction to that but also yeah certainly uh the south african lottery here was not rigged it's a statistical anomaly not a statistical impossibility if someone was going to rig it, I'd like to believe they'd make it look less obvious than picking six <laughs> numbers in a row. Yeah, I think the uh, bottom line word for this is innumeracy. Oh, all right. I don't even know that word, but I'll trust you that That's it's right. the right word here. There's, there's a whole book with that title. Okay. In, in numeracy, kids. Look it up. <laughs> Gosh, people learn so much on this podcast. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 121 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 120 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you've heard them all already, well, a binge re-listen is recommended so you can pick up on all the hidden Easter eggs you missed the first time around. Oh, you're giving something away there, Eric. I like it. Um, coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by New Jersey State Senator Paul Sarlo. He's one of the sponsors of a bill to remove the limitations on betting legally on college sports in New Jersey. Uh, we'll talk to the senator about New Jersey's role in the national expansion of gambling, uh, the state of horse racing in New Jersey, and when he expects the casino to come to the Meadowlands, which is his district for the last two decades. Um, but first, it's been, I don't know, not so busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start this week in Connecticut, a state that, like your native New Jersey, John, is well positioned to siphon New York sports betting dollars if it should happen to legalize online sports betting. One company betting that Connecticut will indeed do just that sometime soon is DraftKings, which early Monday morning announced a multi-channel partnership with the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, the owners of Foxwoods Casino. So if and when sports betting legislation is passed in Connecticut, DraftKings will have the inside track toward getting a license. This deal also makes DraftKings the official daily fantasy sports partner of Foxwoods, but we all know that DFS isn't where the money is. Meanwhile, the state's other casino, Mohegan Sun, entered into a deal with Camby back in March 2019, and Camby actually works with a variety of sportsbook brands in other states, including DraftKings, although not for long in terms of the DraftKings-Camby partnership. Nobody knows what the rules in Connecticut would look like, whether each casino would get more than one online betting skin, whether it will be possible for a mobile sportsbook to operate without being tethered to a brick-and-mortar property, etc. But what we know now is that whenever sports betting comes to Connecticut, DraftKings will be ready to launch. John, do you think DraftKings knows something we don't about the Connecticut sports betting timeline? And would legalization in Connecticut light a fire under New York? 
<laughs> well, when it comes to mobile sports betting, Eric, an atomic bomb couldn't light a fire in New York <laughs> and Governor Cuomo. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's true that a lot of mostly wealthy Fairfield County, Connecticut residents commute, or they at least used to, and maybe someday will again, into New York City, particularly Manhattan. Uh, but nothing compares to the ease of passage from Manhattan into New Jersey, whether by several bridges and tunnels or by underground trains. So that's where the action is. This just strikes me as... I guess good defense by DraftKings in case the number of skins is severely limited. But, you know, in the end, the two Connecticut tribes have a lot of leverage statutorily as well as politically. So eventually I think they'll just get the deal they want. And so uh, DraftKings has got its bases covered here. Yeah. All right. Well, I defer to you on all matters, New York mobile sports betting until the day comes <laughs> that they legalize it, at which point we'll all gang up and tell you how wrong you were. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I do think it's possible that DraftKings people have had conversations with Connecticut legislators and got some good indications about which way the wind is blowing. But it's also perfectly likely that they know nothing and they just figure whenever Connecticut legalizes, and they will eventually, this ain't Utah, uh, that, that even if it's three years from now, it's worth getting the partnership in place. So I don't necessarily take this as some kind of strong indicator that sports betting is going to pass in Connecticut in 2021 or anything like that necessarily. Um, I do wonder when FanDuel is going to make its move. One mm. assumes FanDuel will not want to risk getting locked out of Connecticut. So you figure they'll be lobbying hard for multiple skins per casino or, or for untethered sports books to be able to enter. Yeah, but I think this is one of the maybe not the only state, but one of the few states where uh, some other entity other than DraftKings and FanDuel, you know, kind of rules the day. And in this case, it's two, the two tribes. So um, FanDuel may hope for that, but uh, they're they're not going to be able to, I don't think, uh, do enough lobbying and whatever else you call it to uh, to convince legislators to uh, to go for it. It's, it's it's in the end, it's up to the tribes. Okay. Uh, our next story here, uh, we touched a month or so ago on the topic of legal single-game sports betting coming to Canada, and it has progressed in the last several days and is now worth exploring in a bit more depth. Canada currently allows parlays through the Canadian lotteries, similar to what has existed in Delaware since before PASPA was thrown out. And a bill was introduced on November 26th that would allow each province to legalize single-game wagering with the option to permit brick-and-mortar betting, mobile betting, or both. In Ontario in particular, there seems to be momentum to move forward. And speaking at the Canada Leaders Panel at the Betting on Sports America virtual conference on Wednesday, Canadian Gaming Association President and CEO Paul Burns said, There is tremendous demand from the public, and hopefully by next fall, we'll be able to have everything in place. One particularly interested operator is Toronto-based The Score, which has entered the New Jersey market already, but surely sees a great opportunity in Canada. John, do you see the current American sports betting leaders, DraftKings and FanDuel, putting major resources into succeeding in the Canadian market? And I'll repeat the same question I asked you about Connecticut, although I guess I kind of know the answer. Would this light a fire under New York to get mobile betting going? Yeah, I think I telegraphed my answer there uh, already about what if Toronto and its suburbs get mobile sports betting. I've driven from Buffalo to Toronto a half dozen times, probably it's about 100 miles. That's because uh, back in the day, you could get on JetBlue from LaGuardia, you could fly into Toronto for like 1100 bucks, or fly into Buffalo for like, like 190 So mm. I didn't really argue the uh, difference there in my, in my uh, uh, work travel. So right. um, 
otherwise, as far as the Daily Fantasy Sports Giants, uh, from what I can tell, Canadian investigators care even less about illegal bookmaking than their U.S. counterparts do, which is impressive in its own weird way. Um, I also read once that no Canadian citizen has ever been prosecuted for using an illegal bookmaker or an offshore site. Hmm. So uh, I think the Canadian population is almost the size of California, uh, and they do like their sports up there, whether it's U.S. leagues or not. So it's a good market, but I don't have a great feel for whether they're longstanding parlay-only betting you know, ever moves forward. And also, if they do, will that change the habits of Canadians who already know they can just stick to their offshore books, uh, even more so than American uh, counterparts? Yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, seems to be the the case in Delaware, that there's been a certain segment of the population that was just comfortable with what they were doing and haven't necessarily yeah. made the move to switch to single game betting. Um I don't have a whole lot to add on this topic, so uh, I'll just share fun memories of a pre-pandemic time. I'm pretty sure I talked about this on the pod, but uh, a year and a half ago over the 4th of July holiday weekend, my wife and I took a trip to Montreal, and I very much enjoyed gambling at the casino in Montreal. Came out about 200 bucks or so ahead playing Ultimate Texas Hold'em. Also came home with a deck of French-Canadian cards. So if you're looking for any meaningful uh, analysis from me here, um, you you hit on the, the one point I wanted to make, which was the, the population of all of Canada is comparable to the population of California, about 35 million people in Canada, uh, and more than 40% of those live in Ontario. So that is a very large market in that province. So even if other provinces take a while, Ontario alone matters. And I would expect that the DraftKings and the FanDuel's will be making some moves trying to get a, a chunk of that market share. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because I suspect that Ontario um, is the most important market by far in Canada. And uh, I think it would not be surprising at all to see them move forward and the rest of the provinces, including the ones where nobody lives, to uh, not quite get in on the action. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our final story this week takes us to Tennessee, and it's a lively news item. Everybody enjoys a good feud, and it seems the local upstart on the mobile sports betting scene, TN Action 24-7, is looking to pick a fight. The sniping actually started back on November 30th when Action 24-7 ran ads featuring Memphis pro wrestling icon Jerry the King Lawler and called themselves the real king of sportsbooks, earning a cease and desist from BetMGM's lawyers because BetMGM previously trademarked the phrase the king of sportsbooks. Action 24-7 owner Tina Hodges responded to TNBets.com, quote, we were surprised that MGM took such offense to a parody, which was obviously not intentional infringement. Who knew such a big outfit would be so sensitive, end quote. Uh, Then this week on Twitter, the small local company took a shot at its bigger rivals in the state, DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetMGM, by running a poll that read, Our big NFL parlay winner this week is from Murfreesboro. Do we think at BetMGM, at FD Sportsbook, or at DK Sportsbook could point out Murfreesboro on a map? And the answer choices were no, no. Maybe, and absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> DraftKings responded with a picture of a map with a red dot on Murfreesboro, uh, and there was some playful back and forth. John, what do you think? Is TN Action 24-7 doing a good job punching up, so to speak, and, and getting noticed? Or is it all a little bit sophomoric in an almost barstoolish way? Well, I noted in a recent episode that I refuse to get hot and bothered by, you know, uh, the bait or the chum or whatever you want to call it that gets tossed out there by Barstool sometimes. You know, that said, at their low points, they do upset a lot of people, I think. I would call that middle schoolish. 
So, yes, TNX is being a little sophomoric, but that's not as bad. Uh, we're talking about them, aren't we? And I suspect some of our new subscribers are from the volunteer state. So punching up has been accomplished. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Tennessee's lottery director said on a sports betting USA panel last week that there'll likely be seven mobile betting apps up by the end of December with three more basically in the pipeline. So the fight for market share has begun. And, you know, I don't begrudge us that upstart. It's going to be a challenging market and uh, they're making their way in the world. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you that, you know, I wouldn't quite call it sophomoric. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going down the road barstool travels of no. being potentially offensive. Uh, but no. there is perhaps a whiff of desperation in, in trying to pick a fight with the big boys. But maybe it's smart desperation. Um, no. I'm, I'm just not sure it's a great look. But TN Action 24-7 is in a tougher spot than they anticipated as they were running a grassroots campaign looking to go to bars and sign up customers in person and really connect with Tennessee sports mm -hmm. bettors. And the pandemic has obviously made that strategy difficult. So they're finding other ways to get noticed by sports bettors in Tennessee. I'll be very curious to see the operator by operator breakdown on handle and revenue for the first month. Mm -hmm. um, our, our colleague, yeah. Brett Smiley, wrote a piece for TNBets.com last week projecting Tennessee's November handle between 125 and 135 million but there's no public information yet to indicate what percentage of that tn action 24 7 will do i'm almost certain they'll be in fourth place uh but the gap between them and the big three will be telling it this is just a, a totally unique sports betting company in a totally unique sports betting state really fascinating stuff for us industry nerds oh yeah i i love it i think it's great i mean uh just the fact that every state has their own ideas. I think in some ways it's very inefficient, but it is interesting and kind of fun for us. Okay. And by the way, uh, a bit of a name drop, humble brag. I'm not sure exactly what you'd call this, but uh, did you know that I am friends with the guy who introduced Jerry Lawler to Andy Kaufman and set their famous oh. wrestling angle in motion? Uh, right. My my first job out of college was at The Ring magazine. And in addition to the boxing magazines, we also published Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the various other wrestling titles. And I became friends there with Bill Apter, uh, who uh, is a well-known name in the wrestling journalism industry. Yes, there's a wrestling journalism industry. <laughs> Uh, he, he once put me on the phone with The Rock. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, but he also is the guy who lined up Lawler and Kaufman. So uh, there you go. Not, still not quite a thrilling story, but I guess better than me talking about winning 200 bucks in Montreal, I would say. Uh, definitely. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. we focus a lot on the state of New Jersey on this podcast, it's because for the bulk of the past decade, New Jersey has been the most progressive state in the nation in terms of gambling legislation. We are very pleased now to welcome to the podcast a key player in some of that legislation. State Senator Paul Sarlo is a civil engineer by trade who has represented the district that includes the Meadowlands Sports Complex since 2002, while also serving as the Democratic Deputy Majority Leader in the Senate and as the chairman of the powerful State Budget Committee. And he also has been mayor of his hometown of Woodridge for the past 20 years. So he's clearly a busy guy, but he somehow found a little time for us. <laughs> Senator Sarlo, welcome to Gamble On. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you guys. So, Senator, you sponsored a very modest bill in October that would have New Jersey remove its ban on wagering on collegiate sporting events in the state, such as the 2025 March Madness regional semifinals and finals scheduled for the Prudential Center in Newark. But last month, you greatly expanded the bill to allow for wagering on any major college sporting contest featuring New Jersey schools. 
Do you recall how that ban originally came into place and what made you decide that now was the right time to end this entire self-imposed ban? Well, that's a, it's a great question because, uh, so I, you know, we, we've all been spending a, a lot more time uh, at home and, 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 and kind of reading through some of the tea leaves. And, and I remember getting an alert uh, on my phone from ESPN or from the NCAA announcing the 2025 uh, March Madness schedule and where, where the events were going to be held. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, what would happen if we had four, which we will, you know, you could have four major teams here uh, where teams that come from uh, areas where uh, there is a, a lot of activity, a lot of school spirit, but also a lot of activity around uh, betting. And I said, we're going to have here, we're going to be hosting uh, and around the country, there'll be pl- people placing bets on perhaps Duke versus North Carolina uh, in our, in our backyard. And we're not going to be able to collect uh, any, any revenue on that. So uh you know, the next morning after uh, making some phone calls, we decided to do a, a, a slight amendment to cover bowl games or NCAA championships um, held here in New Jersey. So essentially it would be either at a Prudential Center in Newark or uh, at uh, MetLife Stadium in, in East Rutherford. And uh, a lot of support, no pushback. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, people started to talk about, listen, we're, we're doing the sports bet, sports book so well here in New Jersey uh, with, with great integrity, um, transparency. Uh, there's been no issues. Why not just open it up now? Let's, let's open it up to collegiate games. So uh, we reached out. Uh, I had my folks reach out to uh, Rutgers, uh, Seton Hall. Uh, and some of the other Division One universities where there may be playing in a game where there's a line on it, like maybe Mammoth or perhaps, no, no pushback from those folks. Picked up the phone call, the NCAA, and said, "What's the, what? You know, if we were to proceed with this, does this preclude our state from ever hosting a, a future bowl game or an NCAA championship?" They said the Supreme Court has decided that already for them, uh, and they would not stand in our way. Next thing you know, we amended the bill, and it kind of was just so smooth. No opposition. Went right through the legislature. Mm, okay. And, and then just backing it up to when the original law was passed that that put that partial ban on college wagering in New Jersey, do you recall what the discussion was like at the time and, and why that stipulation ended up I just think there was uncertainty whether or not, you know – you know, was it the right messaging to have people betting on, you know, games here, collegiate games here in New Jersey on New Jersey based teams? Um, you know, in retrospect, we probably should have did it right from the beginning, but I think we proved to everybody that we were able to do it right. Uh, we, we do it in a very transparent manner, uh, very ethically, um, with great integrity, uh, the, the firms that are, are handling the sports book here in New Jersey, we've had no hiccups with those folks. Um, so uh, no pushback, no opposition. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm quite confident the voters will uh, support this constitutional amendment. Uh, Senator, speaking of voters, uh, four years ago, as you well remember, there was a spectacularly uh, unsuccessful uh, effort to expand casino gaming in New Jersey beyond Atlantic City being the current monopoly. And obviously the bill was kind of vague, but clearly the Meadowlands was going to be the number one site. There's no question about that. And for various political reasons and uh, campaign uh, donation reasons and everything else, uh, 
we didn't get anywhere and it lost almost 80 to 20 percent so how important is that in, in the long-term scheme of things that, you know, does that mean there's never going to be a Midlands casino or, or is there still a possibility? And then the other part of that is, uh, are you in like an arms race to beat Manhattan to getting a casino first, or do you think they're, they're just not going to do that? They don't have a lot of uh, gambling obviously now to say the least. So I'm, I am never going to back off on my support for a casino uh, in the Meadowlands sports complex. I still believe it is the premier place in the Northeast to have a casino. Um, and I think we are, are always in a race with Manhattan. Um, a couple of things. Going back to the ill-fated um, 2016 referendum, clearly, uh, I think the way the way it was drafted it was drafted uh, for defeat. Uh, clearly, um, nobody really put the energy in um, to to get behind that. Um, to put a campaign together, a grassroots campaign, an organized campaign, uh, advertising. Um, it was just sort of a really ill-fated campaign. And uh, I was a little disappointed, quite frankly, and all the major plate stakeholders who, who were really behind that kind of nobody really put, put their best effort forward. Uh, Atlantic City got a little bit behind it. They, they opposed it uh, and they rallied the, the base in, in, uh, in South Jersey. Uh, and, and defeated it pretty handily. So uh, as you said, I think it was 80 to 20, John, right? 80? Yeah, something like that, yeah. 20. So it wasn't even – it was it was a complete blowout. So um, looking back, uh, clearly I think with the right messaging and the right campaign, those numbers could be turned around. Now's not the time, of course, right? So Atlantic City is str- struggling. Who would ever thought we're going to hit with the, 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 this pandemic? Uh, post-pandemic – um, I think Atlantic City uh, and Manhattan. Manhattan's got bigger issues to deal with than a casino. They got to get they got to get people back in buildings. They got to get people back there. Uh, right now, we have residents. Uh, you know, you know where I live, John. I live in South Bergen County. Still, the mayor of Woodridge. Um, we're we're just seeing an influx of folks who are moving out of New York City and buying homes, single family homes in, in South Bergen. So. Um, I'm not worried about Manhattan racing to get a casino. I think they have other bigger issues to deal with. I hope post-pandemic, I hope the Biden um, administration makes a major investment in infrastructure, gateway tunnel and others. And then as we, you know, I, I, I just don't see it happening in the next four years, having a casino in the Meadowlands. Yeah, but in, in 10 years, I'm hopefully I'll be retired and maybe spending time at a Meadowlands casino. Am I going to be I, there or is, or is it not going to happen? I am very hopeful in 10 years we will have a casino um, <laughs> at the Meadowlands. We're taking down the old racetrack. So we have language in a budget to take the old racetrack down. So that's going to finally come down. Yeah. Um, we're going to demolish that baby. Um, put something there, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, you know, from security purposes, they, they need a little bit of a buffer over there for major events at the Meadowlands. Um, for, for now, we're going to just take it down and ex- move some of the perimeter roadways away from the building. Um, so that's, uh, that's our first initial plan here, but, uh, I'm hopeful we're going to get a casino. I talk to my friend, Jeff Garral all the time over there. Uh, he's hopeful, but we're not going to see something in the next few years. That's for sure. 10 years. Yes. So don't retire in 10. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to do some early planning on John's retirement party. I'll get the ball rolling now and, and, and book the currently non-existent Meadowlands <laughs> Casino for his retirement party, I think. 
Um, so let's talk about another important New Jersey gambling vertical, horse racing. Uh, this would have been only a year or two into your legislative career, but in the early 2000s, there was serious talk by Governor McGreevy and his aides about selling then state-owned Meadowlands Racetrack and Monmouth Park to the highest bidder. Do you recall if that nearly came to fruition? And in retrospect, would the state and its horse racing industry have been better or worse off? Yeah, so in the 2000s, um... You know what? It's hard to say, right? So um, I think we've, the horse racing industry in New Jersey, it's been sort of up and down over the years. Um, you know, they're always some, you know, some years are hanging on uh, and they need that purse subsidy. Other years they, they, they do well. Clearly the sports book has, has helped them. Uh, if I go back to 2000, um, I'm not sure. I, you know what? I, I, I would probably say no. If, if they went privatization, I don't know if they'd still be, Quite frankly, I don't know if they'll still be in business. I think the, I think the public um, has kept horse racing alive to the point where they are they are now. Um, we were able to do certain things with horse racing subsidies uh, and other tax credits, uh, the redevelopment around um, the Meadowlands, but also the the sports book. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to kind of hedge here, saying that if it was turned over to private entities back then in 2000, uh, we may be out of the horse racing business today. Mm -hmm. Remember, horse racing, everybody focuses on the horses racing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more to that, right? It's it's the farms, right? We have huge open space farms, right? So right. we need to keep horse racing going also for those horse race farms. They're a big part of our economy, but also, you know, we don't want them to go the way of suburban sprawl. Right. And, and so to, to that point of, about, uh, you know, where things stand now and, and moving forward and keeping everything uh, in business, are, are you feeling optimistic about the state of the horse racing industry? Obviously, sort of more post-pandemic than, than right now. But are, are you feeling like a, we're on more? You talked about ups and downs. Is there more think, of an up? I think post-pandemic, we're going to be OK in the horse racing industry. I think um, it's just not about showing up to watch horse racing. You need to offer other, you know, the sports book. Uh, dining, uh, some type of form of entertainment. Um, you know, you're going to still have your core customers who are going to go there and just bet on the on the horses. Um, I don't believe that is enough to carry those facilities. Um, I just don't think there's enough uh, of that generation who who just goes and bets on horses. You're going to need um, um, uh, the 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 younger generations to come in and and diversify a little bit to, to give them a little bit of the entertainment piece, the food, uh, the sports book, uh, nightclub atmosphere. Um, there, there's going to be more to than just showing up um, to, to bet on the ponies. Right. Yes, Senator, I just want to mention that, uh, you know, speaking of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, I would travel around the country to these uh, conferences on uh, gaming, gaming expansion in the U.S. and that sort of thing. And New Jersey was mentioned in every, on every panel. I mean, it was always a real focus. Uh, a lot of Europeans in particular were frustrated that the United States had not broken through. And obviously they realized they could make a lot of money if it ever does. Uh, and, you know, now you look at it and New Jersey is the leader, you know, not only in getting a Supreme Court decision that opened the door to the entire industry, but also in mobile sports betting, they're kind of leading the way, showing people. And online uh, casino gaming, which has been uh, a bit underrated in the press, but uh, and it, had, it was at a modest 
start in New Jersey seven years ago, which is amazing. But now it's exploding, and that's a big topic around. And obviously, the Midlands Racetrack is clearly the still the premier harness racing track in North America. So just wondering in Trenton, the State House, you know, do you and some of the other uh, you know political leaders ever talk about you know we're like uh, reality TV stars? I mean, everybody uh, in a multi-billion-dollar industry is sort of obsessed with what New Jersey does. You know, and 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 I'm assuming the online gambling um, did very well during the March, April, May post when the when we were really in a lockdown kind of mode, right? Everybody was kind of locked down at home. Um, so I am assuming uh, those numbers, I, I haven't seen them, but I mean, I think those revenues were pretty strong, actually. You know, as, as, as some of my colleagues will, will say to me, uh, you know, um, I've been pretty outspoken uh, at, at times about uh, legalization of cannabis in the state of New Jersey. I just don't think as a state we're ready for it. We're a densely populated state. Uh, and my colleagues would always say to me, you know, you're against uh, the legalization of cannabis, but the minute there's an opportunity to expand gambling in New Jersey, <laughs> you're right on it. So that's a, that's a crutch uh, right away. That's a, a crutch right away. You're the first one out there, but uh, listen, I, I, I don't, I'm not a gambler. I don't typically you know, play the horses or, or do online gambling. Um, but clearly there's a market here in New Jersey um, and with our proximity to Manhattan, proximity to Philadelphia and uh, folks with a little bit more higher disposable income uh, than other states. Uh, clearly there's a market for it and we need to capture that. We need to capture that money. I've always said that if people are going to do it, we have to capture it here and keep it here and reinvest it into education, senior citizens, and, uh, and other revenue and other um, funds we need here for the state of New Jersey and, and instead of letting it go elsewhere. Yeah, there were, there were times in the, in the summer when uh, New Jersey casino revenues were down maybe 10 to 20 percent, which is tough, but, you know, on a, you know, not surprising. And New York State casinos, the upstate ones, they had zero because they had no online uh casino gaming they have no mobile sports betting and right. the casinos themselves were closed so you know there's thousands of jobs there in atlantic city that you know pretty clearly uh likely have been saved so i know not every bill you guys passed uh, turns out the way you want it to but uh it seems like the the gambling uh bills that have passed have been successful so well, uh, atlantic you know, city, satisfying i mean atlantic city I don't, I don't think atlantic city should ever expand again i think atlantic city needs to stabilize where they're at now especially the post-pandemic they're going to need to uh stabilize the, the uh, casinos that they have up and running there. Um, hopefully we don't lose any more um, uh, post-pandemic, but uh, I guess the, we shall see the, uh, on that yet. Yeah. I think the least surprising thing you said during this conversation, Senator, is that you're not a gambler because with your seven different jobs that you're juggling, how could you possibly find time to gamble? Exactly. <laughs> I would be terrible. My, my fantasy football team is the worst. I, I, I just... I always got a, the last minute I'm scrambling to make sure I uh, fill out my lineup card correctly there. For, uh, I, I just hope you're not winless like the Jets, right? No, no, get, no, no. Okay. All right. Good. We're going to be, uh, <laughs> we're going to get the first round draft pick here. At, uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, it's been great talking to you, Senator. Thanks again for, for joining us. Yeah, on anytime. If you guys ever want to do this again, just reach out, John, reach out. And we could uh, do this again, just to catch up on, uh, on, on these important topics. Cause Clearly, these are, these are important topics, but for me as the chairman of the Senate Budget Appropriations Committee, there's, a, there's an important revenue aspect uh, from these topics. So, Absolutely. Thanks again. Good talking to you guys. Two men. men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? 
It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll, and we're now on a two-week winning streak, although our profit last week wasn't big enough to pop champagne over, and you couldn't afford a decent bottle with these profits anyway. We won $21 on the week. Here's a breakdown. John had three bets on Tony Finau to win, to finish top 10, and to finish top 20. He ended up in a four-way tie for 8th through 11th, so the first place bet loses, the top 20 bet wins, and the top 10 bet gets a 75% share of the pot, netting out to a total profit of $88. I had a similar win with my boxing bets, winning $100 on Errol Spence by decision, but losing $10 on the long shot draw bet, so that's a profit of $90. Then there are our losses. John's Florida minus 17.5 points bet took a brutal beat, losing us $107. And my 49ers money line bet was a bad call, although at least I lacked confidence and only bet $50. Uh, <laughs> before I total everything up, John, you want to comment on the Finau roller coaster or the Florida backdoor? Yeah, I'd call it the Tennessee backdoor. Uh, right. Meaningless touchdown with 29 seconds left, uh, aided by 25 yards and meaningless Florida penalties to uh, cover 17 and a half point spread. Uh, it almost completely mirrored my own cheap SEC cover a week earlier when my LSU scored a similar touchdown with 38 seconds left. Um, first, I was thinking it's like those Final Destination movies, I guess, where, you know, if fate screws up and gives you a cheap win and you, you stay alive, well, you'll get decapitated soon enough. But <laughs> on the other hand, Finau, uh, I'm so deep into this guy's psyche that I could probably make a living betting on, on him hole by hole every week. <laughs> you know, as, as soon as he got within a shot of the lead in rounds two and three, that next tee shot, it's going into a ravine somewhere. And it did. Um, he's a top 10 machine, though, and he was safely out of contention late Sunday. So I, at first I was surprised that he bogeyed 16 and seven, 17 so unnecessarily because he already was safely out of the winner's circle. But I was not surprised in a way that he drained a meaningless 20-foot birdie putt on a last hole to give us our own backdoor win. So we kind of split those. So I'll, I'll, I'll even call it even, almost. Right. I have never seen a Final Destination movie, so I'll just trust you on that. Uh, uh, me neither, but I've seen the commercials. And, <laughs> okay, uh, I, good enough. It's a pretty simple premise, I think. You know, right. you're, you're all going to get on a plane that's going to crash or whatever, and then you didn't get on it. So you're, you think you're the luckiest people in the world, and then your friend's dead the next day, and then the next day, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they end, but uh, they don't begin to. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, All right. So as I already noted, we won $21 in total. We're now $531 south of even. We still have $936 on hold in futures bets, some of which are promising, some of which are not at all. Uh, So that leaves us with $8,533 available. And I'm up first. And as shaky as my betting track record has been in recent months, boxing is the one sport where I've been consistently profitable throughout this podcast, where as long as I can pick my spots, I do believe I have an edge over the house. So let's make a bunch of little boxing bets. There's a triple header on Showtime this Saturday, and two of the three fights seem very close to me on paper. The opening bout is middleweights, Matt Korobov versus Ronald Ellis. I favor Korobov. He's priced at minus 125 on DraftKings. I'd say he's a tiny bit underpriced there. So let's bet $60 to win $48 on Korobov. But it could be a very close distance fight. So let's put $10 on the draw at 22 to 1. 
And then in the second fight of the show, this is where the big value is. Our Hennis Mendez versus Richardson Hitchens. The sports books are, I think, way overvaluing the undefeated prospect Hitchens. To me, he's only a slight favorite here, but DraftKings has Mendez all the way at plus 600. Uh, to me, plus 200 would be fair value. Uh, so let's bet $30 to win $180 on the underdog Mendez. And get this, Mendez's last two fights both ended in 10-round draws. Uh, this could be another close one. So again, $10 on the draw at 22 to 1. So we're risking $110 in total. If Korobov wins and the other three bets all lose, we would lose $2 total. If the Mendez underdog pick or either of the draws hit, we have a very nice profit. All right. You're going to hit one of these draws someday, Eric. <laughs> someday. <laughs> I, I believe in it. Um, by the way, there's no more PGA Tour this month. They, they don't quite play all 52 weeks. I mean, they play like 45, but they're not playing the last three this month. So what else can I look at? I can't pass up the Army-Navy game. I've been watching that since I was a kid. Um, no idea how Army, which has been playing one tomato can after another this year, is favored by seven points or really any at all. So therefore, for once, I'm going to try a money line with Navy at plus 230. So 100 to win outright for 230. Wow. All right. That's a pretty big bet by your standards. I like it, though. Uh, should be fun to root for. OK, uh, I am going to make my second NBA futures bet of this preseason. We already have Dallas to go over their win total. Next week will be our last chance before the season starts. But I'll make one more now. Uh, points bet has the Washington Wizards at minus 105 to make the playoffs. I think they're a little better than just a coin flip there. They traded John Wall, who wasn't playing due to injury, for Russell Westbrook, who, for all his faults, is a guy who plays his ass off every night and puts up big numbers. And that makes them the kind of team that should do pretty well in the regular season. You have Westbrook and Bradley Beal as an elite backcourt. The rest of the starting five is solid. Bertans, Hachimura, Bryant, they added Robin Lopez as a good veteran backup center. You look at the Eastern Conference, there are basically nine teams that look on paper like playoff teams celtics nets sixers raptors bucks pacers heat hawks and wizards the wizards play in the weakest division there uh they they just have to not finish ninth among those nine teams i think with westbrook they're a playoff team that has no chance of getting out of the first round uh so let's bet 105 dollars to win 100 on the new look washington wizards all right. Uh, yeah, it's been noted that a lot of these odds boosts on various sites are not really that great to begin with. But um, if you're going to take the pick anyway and then you see an odds boost, then you're getting a you know, free opportunity. So I already was going with Cooper Cup to score the first touchdown on Thursday against the Patriots. Uh, then I see an odds boost of plus 1,200 on DraftKings. So uh, 25 to win 300 on that. Okay, I like that. Let's. Uh, wow, we have a chance for a couple of big wins with your bets this yeah. week. Uh, so all right, we wrap things up. With the Fast Five, where the over 500 guy got a little more over 500, and the under 500 guy got a little more under 500. We had three picks in common, uh, both winning big with New England and Washington and losing big with Tennessee against the Browns. John split his other two, winning with Jacksonville and losing with Seattle. I lost both of my other two, the Raiders and 49ers. So I went two and three to drop to 29, 35, and one. And John went three and two to land at 35, 28, and two. Uh, John, your lead is now a very healthy six and a half games with just four weeks to go. And you're up first. Yeah, so I'm over 55% for the year, second year in a row. Um, my magic number is 11. If I can go 11 and 9, that's 55%. Keeps me above that number. I'd be thrilled. I'd walk away right now at 11 and 9. I wouldn't even make any picks, but <laughs> I don't get that opportunity, so I've no. got to get some right. So let me try and do that right here. 
Um, as you might have guessed, Rams minus five and a half versus Patriots. I hate road teams in Thursday games anyway. And the, the Pats 45 nothing win of the bumbling Chargers. Uh, I think all that did was get me under minus seven or more. So uh, thanks, Chargers, because uh, five and a half is a nice number. Um, speaking of the Chargers, Falcons minus two and a half versus those same Chargers. Uh, teams that get crushed historically tend to bounce back the following week, but the Chargers don't seem to have any elastic left in them. So, And the Falcons have been playing really well basically all year. They're, they're bumbling head coach that got fired, cost them a couple of games where they'd be in the playoff hunt. Right. So uh, next is Bengals plus three and a half over Cowboys. Uh, another also ran game. Uh, another sweet line, I think. Uh, only one of these two teams has quit, and it ain't the Bengals. Um, and then one more uh, also ran game. Texans minus one over the Bears. Texans have been very competitive since the, another coach who shall not be named got fired. Uh, the Bears, they kind of seem confused. So confident in this one. And then finally, uh, this is almost too good to be true, but I, I like it too much. Bills minus two and a half for Steelers. Uh, looks like James Conner may be back for the Steelers, but the Bills are better. I mean, if not for the Hail Murray, I don't get the sweet line. I'm, I'm, I'm given four. So I get the free field goal thanks to a silly play that, you know, it was cute and fun and exciting, but um, the Bills would be 10 and two and be getting a lot more attention than they're getting. All right. Interesting picks. So I had two options this week. Uh, try to make my five best picks or just go opposite all of your picks and hope <laughs> you have a one and four, oh, and five week. And I'm back in this thing. So if the entire goal was to beat you and there was a, a million dollars at stake or something, and it doesn't matter one bit how far behind you I finish, that would be the right strategic play at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no money at stake, of course. We're playing for pride. And while the main goal is to win head-to-head, -head, there's some pride value in at least finishing 500, which oh, I yeah. can still do if I go 13-7 and seven over the last four weeks. So after careful consideration, I'm not going to play optimal game theory strategy, at least not this week. I'm just making the five best picks I can. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'll gain ground on you anyway. And, you know, if I'm within like three or four games two weeks from now, maybe then I'll just oppose your picks. But for now, I'm just trying to achieve the most respectable record I can uh, since you're just about out of reach for me. Uh, so first up is the one pick we have in common. Uh, the Patriots are a tiny bit overvalued coming off that stomping of the Chargers. Cam Newton still can't throw the ball very well. I think this is a good spot at home for the Rams tonight, giving five and a half. They're eight and four. They're trying to win that division. I see them winning and covering here. Uh, my other four picks are all completely separate games from the ones you picked. I like the Vikings getting six and a half in Tampa Bay. I know Minnesota has been winning ugly, but they have won five of six since their terrible start. The Bucks are nothing special. I think six and a half is a lot of points here when these are pretty evenly matched teams in my view. So give me the Vikings. And of course, for season long bet purposes, this would be a fine week for Rob Gronkowski to twist his ankle. Nothing serious. Okay. Just keep him out for a game or two. That's all I'm asking. Yep. Uh, next, we all know the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. I'm very happy I took them with my $1 uh, on that 55-1 to 1 special bet on DraftKings before the season. It's looking pretty good now that they're 2-1 to 1 to win the uh, Super Bowl. But uh, they have a knack for doing just enough to win. Uh, their last four games, they've won by 2, 4, 3, and 6 points, not a single cover. Now they're favored by 7 in Miami against a Dolphins team with a solid defense. I would feel better about Miami if Fitzmagic was starting. He almost certainly gives them a better chance right now than Tua does. But even with Tua, Miami plus seven at home. It's too many points. I have to take the Dolphins. Now, whether you like it or not, John, 
your Washington football team is fighting for a playoff spot. They're on neutral turf against a 49ers team that is almost drawing dead after losing to Buffalo last week. If the Niners had won that, I'd view this game differently, but they lost. They're still favored by three. Washington is clicking. I'll happily take the football team getting a field goal. And lastly, uh, I took the Thursday night game. I'm also taking the Monday night game. The Ravens are favored by one point in Cleveland. The books want the public to take the Browns. That's what I see when I look at that line. Now is the time to sell high on those Browns, I believe. The Browns have to be feeling satisfied off that great win in Tennessee last week. The Ravens are scraping and scrapping for a playoff spot. They beat Cleveland by 32 points in week one. I like Baltimore to win this one on the road. Maybe not by 32 points, but uh, they only need to win by more than one for me to uh, get this victory in the Fast Five. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Senator Paul Sarlo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, uh, Eric and the audience, uh, I finally did it. That is roll the dice. Tiny dice, but I still rolled those tiny dice. After two rounds of the PGA Tour event in Mexico last weekend, I found a 16 to 1 shot to win that I liked and made a very modest wager on it. And after round three, I could have more than doubled my money as I cashed out. Uh, which is my first inclination. Uh, <laughs> and entering the back nine on Sunday, I could have quadrupled it at no risk. Uh, and I, also, I was pessimistic after a stray approach shot by my guy on 17 uh, while he's tied. Uh, I didn't even look at the cash out at that point, though. So I stuck with my guy, and Norwegian phenom Victor Hovland knocked in a birdie putt in the last hole to give me all the Tostitos on a 16-to-1 shot. Uh, and it was fun, a little nerve-wracking. I sweat is too, <laughs> too big a word here, but a little nerve-wracking. And it was fun. So that's it. If the amount you risk and the amount you could win are just rounding errors in your total budget, I say go for it. I did. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Gamble on.